Well, everybody, welcome once again back to the Soul Revolution as we explore and discover Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And as we come today to this next text, I just want to open up with this idea. What amazes you? What really brings amazement to you? I, I was thinking of my own experiences in life, and I've always been amazed when I walk into just grand church architecture, having the opportunity to visit a few of the cathedrals around the world and just seeing just the wonder of, of just how they built these great cathedrals over multiple years, sometimes even decades. It always brings a, a, an amazement to my soul. Sometimes listening to, to great music can be an amazing experience. I remember with my wife going to downtown Calgary and listening to the Calgary Philharmonic do Handel's Messiah with a full choir and orchestra. And it was just, wow, and we stood up during the Hallelujah Chorus. And that was just one of those amazing experiences. Later, we would be at Center Street Church in their new building, and Steve Bell singing. He had the song called Holy, 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 and he had the CPO behind him, and it was just this amazing experience, and it's the same kind of just, just draws you to, into it. I asked my wife what, what she thought, and she's like, you know, when, when we had our children, the, the birth of a child is a, a truly amazing experience. It's just hard to put it into words. Well, Mark, in Mark chapter 1, verse 21 to 28, describes the people in Jesus' day in their amazement at Jesus. And you may be surprised what amazes them about Jesus because they find that his authority is amazing. Authority. Well, let's see what they have to say as we come to Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. We're moving into the, the, the story of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We've seen him be baptized, be tempted. We've seen him call the disciples from their boats to leave their nests to follow him. And now, here he is. We find him in verse 21. It says, they went, then they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Now, I, I have a picture the synagogue here, and I uh, actually visited it with my wife a couple years ago. This picture you see is from the 3rd or 4th century A.D., but below these limestone stones are actually a, a basaltic base, which would have been the original synagogue of the 1st century that Jesus is teaching in. And the reason I show you this picture is this. This is not a fictional story. Mark is recounting to you Real events that occurred in a real place, in real time, with a real person, Jesus Christ. And as we come and look for a soul revolution, we find that Mark wants us to see that this happens when you discover Jesus Christ. But here he is in a real place, real time. Capernaum is the major center in Galilee. It is the crossroads of a major trade route. It's the place where the Romans have placed a, a garrison of soldiers. There's a centurion we'll discover later in the Gospels that's, that's placed there in, in Capernaum. It's a major fishing hub and, and a, a trade center for that region. And within Capernaum is the synagogue. It's the place of spiritual leadership. It's a place where spiritual authority is exercised amongst the Jewish people. It's recognized as the central point. People came there to learn and to study and to discover the will of God as revealed in the word of God. This was the Jewish practice. 
Since the exile, they had developed synagogues all over, and these were places where Jews would worship God and study the Torah together and discuss. Now, the, the only other place that was really important was the temple in Jerusalem, where you would go and offer sacrifices. But for the everyday Jew, every week, the synagogue was the central point of their spiritual life and of the spiritual authority in their life. The rabbis would get up, the leader of the synagogue, and they would teach, and they'd provide interpretation of the law. There'd be a reading of scripture, and then the scroll would be passed to someone, and then they would bring, you know, begin to you know, expose it and, and open up and then discuss the meaning of the text by asking questions and discussion and quoting the, the rabbinical sources. And there's Jesus. He's in the synagogue, and he's beginning to teach. Obviously, they recognize Jesus as, as a teacher, as someone who had a, you know, authority and understanding in the word. And so they hand him the scroll. Jesus, well, why don't you preach today? It says in verse 22, the people were amazed. The people there were amazed by his teaching because he taught them like one who had authority, not like the experts in the law. This is referring to this group of Jews called the scribes, professional religious teachers of the law. They had dedicated their lives to the Torah and to the prophets, and they, they taught and they traveled around, and, and they said, there is something different about Jesus. Now, let's be honest. When, when you imagine amazing experiences, right, maybe it's Niagara Falls or, or the Grand Canyon or something like that, on your top 10 list, you know, is there like, ah, that sermon Pastor Mike preached last week, you know, that, that's not on your top list of amazements, right? So it's surprising that Mark says, this is amazing, Jesus is teaching, and the people are like, wow, obviously they went to the synagogue, like you go to church sometimes, and be like, okay, I got to do this, hopefully God teaches me something, but you're not always looking for amazement, but they're surprised, because it's like, this is, I didn't expect this, this is something else. Well, what's happening is Jesus is teaching God's word. And instead of quoting all these rabbinical sources and footnoting his sermon ad nauseum, he's simply giving them the truth and the understanding of God's word. And, and God's word has having its, its natural and desired effect in their souls. It's beginning to stimulate life. And they're like, wow, I never saw the word like that before. This is something totally different. Of course, when Jesus speaks, his own words are self-authenticating. He doesn't need to quote Rabbi so-and-so or such and such. He himself is God, and so when he speaks, it is God's word. And they are amazed because he has this inherent authority just embedded into himself that as he speaks, it feels like it is, and it is the very word of God. But at this point, they don't realize this. He's a prophet, perhaps. A great teacher. I, who knows that there's still a, a misunderstanding, but they are drawn in and amazed at what he has to say. It is truly one of those amazing experiences for them. I mean, sometimes it's frustrating. If you've sat under teaching where people don't take a stand. I mean, if you've gone to Bible college or seminary, sometimes you'd have these profs and, and they'd present the Bible and they'd talk about all the different viewpoints and then you're like, well, what do you think? Wow, you know, and they never really land on a, on, on a stand or a, a position on a particular issue. You're like, come on, you know, and it, it always just seems sort of wiggly and, and slimy, kind of like a jellyfish. Come on, just stick to something. But Jesus comes out and says, this is God's word. This is what it means. This is how it should affect your life. And they're like, wow, this is powerful. Mark doesn't give us a lot of Jesus' sermons. 
He tells us what the content is. It's the gospel of God. It's that the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. And as he's presenting this truth to them, they're like, wow, this is like healing to my soul. An amazing teaching. It's the amazing authority inherent in his teaching. Jesus' words possess their own power. Well, this is exciting. Lives are starting to be transformed, but there's someone else that's present, this invisible personage (laughs) that will manifest himself very shortly here in verse 23. It says, just then, There was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. Now, just hold on there. So you're like, what what do you mean? There's this guy that, you know, is there, and and we discover that that he has this unclean spirit. Other other places, these are called evil spirits. And in Mark, he also describes these as demons. In verse 13 of chapter 1, we discover that Satan is tempting Jesus. And what Mark wants you to realize that behind the ministry of Jesus and in the world at large is this cosmic spiritual battle going on. There's Satan, the enemy of God, with a host of spirits that that work with him that are in antagonism and opposition to Jesus and to God and to everything God is doing in the world. And And the playing field and the battlefield is the souls of people. And as people are beginning to be amazed by the teaching of Jesus, the enemy is like, this has got to stop. I've got an an unclean spirit there. You, you know, stir up the synagogue. Would you already? Like, we got to stop this. This is horrible. Understand that. There is a spiritual battle going on. And the enemy doesn't like it when people hear the gospel and have an opportunity to respond to, to the person of who Jesus is. And so if there's some way they can distract or or pull people away from that, they will do it. He says, leave us alone, Jesus the Nazarene. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I mean, so there, there this demon is speaking, this unclean spirit through this man. The man is seen in this text like a puppet. He is not responsible. He's not held responsible. He's just kind of a foil. But, but clearly, it, there's a spiritual battle going on here. Authoritative teaching, uh, life change is happening. Satan is like, this has got to stop. Let's, let's stir it up. Now, aren't we surprised? Now, Mark would say, aren't you surprised that in a holy place like the synagogue, there is the evil one doing his work? And what it should kind of bring us to realize is that, man, he on earth, will try to disrupt anywhere and everywhere. Which means today that he loves to do his work in churches, disrupting worship service, uh, ruining technology, <laughs> uh, you know, causing people to, to fight or to, you know, to be disunified, or just distracting from the gospel. Anything he can do to distract people, he... He does. And so here he is. Good things are happening. He's, he's distracting through this unclean spirit. He's crying out, and, 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 and there's this cosmic battle going on. I, uh, I found some interesting stories about spiritual warfare, just, just, so you, just to kind of provide some color onto this, uh, provide some color. Uh, Jean Robinson was a missionary in Africa, and she describes this development of this mission station in this place called Addy. 
in Addy was this large granite rock, which was known as the, uh, the home of the much-feared spirit of the rain. This animistic group that lived around there, tribal groups, they, they were afraid of this rock, and it was a sacred place, and, and boy, you had to appease them. As they would show up and offer sacrifices, they would cut themselves in front of the rock. It was this really dark place, and it was a place of great fear. So the missionaries showed up there, and what did they do? They built their, their thing right next to the rock. And all the local people were like, whoa, are you crazy? You know, and they're just waiting for lightning to fall and these people to get destroyed and killed. And, and it, it's like this battlefield. But the, the missionaries are like, no, we are going to commit and sanctify this place for the glory of God and, and for the purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they do that. And this is what she says. And so those pioneers of the gospel met on that rock and prayed that the true God would break through the powers of darkness and that the light of the gospel would someday shine brightly from the center of all the area around them. When I lived there at Addy, we would walk to the rock on Easter Sunday together with hundreds of our Kakwa brothers and sisters in Christ and praise him for the resurrection power that had set us free from the power of sin and the fear of death. And she says, but Satan didn't give up his hold on that area or those people easily. During the ensuing years of my life in Africa, I was confronted with spiritual warfare in one form or another. The situations were always very intense. I felt the onslaught of evil one of the evil one in many different ways. Always, his goal was to hinder the spread of the gospel. Always, his goal was to hinder the spread of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Back in our early ministry, my wife and I would often speak at camps, and that's a great evangelism place to share Jesus and and I can't I can't tell you I just was thinking about this text and how many times Elisa would be teaching and it'd be come to that point where she's talking about the death of Christ and the, the resurrection and, and the opportunity to make Christ your savior and and something would happen like one time it was a moth begins to fly around this light in the middle of the chapel and there's shadows and the kids are distracted and it's like sure enough she's getting to the gospel and this stupid moth showing up and then another day, this bird kept kind of flying in and out of the window, you know, making noises. We're like, what is going on here? My friend Bryce, we were in Ireland helping him at a camp, and he was preaching the gospel. Again, it was that sort of, let's get to the meat, and the, this is the good part of the story. And he's preaching away, and all of a sudden, clunk, clunk, you hear this sound on the metal roof above us. And, and, ah, and it's a squawk, and it's the local peacock that lived on the farm. And it's like, dunk, 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 walking on the tin roof right above our heads, just as Bryce is getting, you know, bringing us down to the cross and the, the sacrifice of atonement of Jesus. And, and sure enough, this, you know, peacock is running around, and the guy went out there and, you know, threw something at it. We, we had peacock the next day for lunch. No, we didn't. But, uh, you know, that, I mean, it, that, that was, you know, it was just like, really? I remember going to Mexico, and we would play soccer games, and during halftime, we would share the gospel. And I can remember, we're, we're on this, just not too far from the mission base, and we were playing these local guys. They were a hard team. I remember just, just being, just working so hard just to try to defend these guys. But there I am sharing the gospel, just simple gospel presentation, short, succinct, but just telling about Jesus. And, and suddenly I just noticed that they're, they're not watching me. They're distracted. And sure enough, behind me in the field is some drunk guy with this horse getting off and on the horse, and they're all laughing. I'm like, really? Satan loves to distract people. Now, notice all the t stories I'm telling are about animals because I don't want to tell the stories about people. <laughs> but Satan will use people to do that too. 
They'll use that stupid thing that you carry in your pocket to do that, right? If you don't turn your phone off at church, he'll find a way to have that thing ring or buzz or whatever. I mean, anything. And here he is, trying to call Jesus out. I mean, it's amazing what he says in verse 24. Like, leave us alone. Like, really? They're going to tell Jesus to to, to leave them alone? I mean, this is a a classic power encounter. Leave us alone. He's like, I know who you are. You're Jesus. You're the Holy One of God. And and, and they're identifying Jesus. They're, They're calling him out. Look, people, here's Jesus. He's the Holy One of God. Surely in the spiritual realm, they understand this who Jesus is. They understand his authority. They understand his position. He is the perfect one. Now, the, the, the Satan and, and his horde don't understand the plan of God. They don't, they're not privy to what God is doing. And so when Jesus shows up on the earth, it's a surprise. And Satan is there to tempt him. And, and as he moves through in his ministry, they, they don't really know what Jesus is there to do, but they're, they're going to try to stop whatever he is trying to do because they, they hate God. They hate the gospel, and they hate to see people come back to relationship with God. Spiritual battle is going on. But they know who Jesus is. And as Mark goes through his gospel, you'll discover that the people that encounter Jesus don't always know who he is. But Mark, at the very beginning, says, look, the dark forces of evil totally understand Jesus' character and who he is and his identity. It's not a secret to them. So, you know, don't be surprised that, you know, as you move to discover Jesus, that you'll realize, oh, this is who Jesus is. Because they, they've known it from the very beginning, from, their, from their, in the beginning of their rebellion, they knew it. They say, have you come to destroy us, you see? Because the reality is about the evil one and his horde is that their judgment is set. Their punishment has been put into place. There has been a place reserved for them, prepared for them, called the Lake of Fire, where they will all one day be sent forever and ever. But in this midterm period, there, there is this, this an earth created, there's people with free will on the earth, and, and there's this battle going on behind the scenes. I can't explain it all to you, but I'm just saying Mark's revealing this to us. There's this cosmic battle, and, and there is this man, this man with this unclean spirit who's speaking here, and he's saying, Jesus, you know, are you here to destroy us? Because they know their day is coming, they just don't know when. You're the Holy One of God. Now, there is some understanding in the ancient world that if you knew someone's name, that you had power over them. And there's a possibility these demons are trying to play this little power encounter with Jesus. But look what Jesus does in verse 25. But Jesus rebuked him. Silence, come out of him. Notice there's no dialogue here. There's no discussion. There's no negotiation. There's no, well, you know, back and forth. It's like, that's enough. Shut up and get out. Jesus takes control of the situation. Verse 26, after throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. That's it. If there's any question as to the power of Jesus in this first recorded full encounter of Jesus with the spiritual realm, I mean, it's, it's answered there. He speaks it, and it's done. This will become a pattern as we move through the Gospel of Mark. Jesus speaks it, and it's done. Jesus speaks it, and it's done. Jesus speaks it. It's done. And as you read through the Bible, you'll see, well, who, who has that power to speak things into existence? God has that power. 
and man goes into some type of contortions, convulsions, and the spirit is gone. And the response of the people in verse 27 is that they were all amazed so that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He even commands the unclean spirits and they obey him. What do you mean? He just did this exorcism and they're talking about his teaching again. Isn't that weird? I mean, clearly the, the words of Jesus have this inherent power that deserves our obedient response. He speaks and they obey him, the unclean spirits. Now the Jewish rabbis had exorcism rites. They were elongated processes where they try to cast out demons and that was part of, of their liturgies. But Jesus comes in, doesn't have to go through, doesn't have to bring out any kind of special holy water or smoke or anything. He just says it and it is so. And they're amazed again. Amazed at the authority demonstrated in his power over evil. When it comes to the battle for the human soul, Jesus wins every time. It says in verse 28, the news about him spread quickly throughout the region around Galilee. This guy has unique authority. He has an amazing authority. His teaching just carries such weight and power. And when he encounters the, the evil side, he simply just tells them to go and get lost, and they're gone. There is something about Jesus that is worthy of our attention. And that's spreading around, spreading around. No one could do anything like this Jesus. Wow, who is this Jesus? Now, Mark's already told us he's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But as he goes through the gospel, he's providing you good reasons to put your faith and trust in Jesus in whatever circumstances you face. Because, of course, he's writing most likely to a group of Christians in Rome and telling them about Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus. And, and these Roman Christians are living in the period of persecution of Nero. It's intense spiritual battlefield. I mean, they're watching their friends get thrown into the Colosseum and devoured by animals. There, others are being arrested and, and, and impaled upon poles and dripped with oil and lit on fire to, to, to light up Nero's nighttime garden parties. I mean, it's, it's horrific what's going on. And they're wondering, are we losing this battle? Are we losing this battle? And, and Mark's like, Jesus has already won the battle. There is no battle, actually. It's clearly a one-sided fight. What amazing authority Jesus found this interesting story. And I love a good story, and so that's why I'm sharing with you. It's from a guy named Jack Popches. He was a translator with Wycliffe Bible Translators in Brazil. He worked with this group called the Canela people. After 10 years of study and work among the Canelas, we had a major problem. Each time we translated a Bible story about some miracle of Jesus and read it to the Canelas, they would nod their heads and someone would say, Great story. Now let me tell you one of our stories. Then the canela would tell an old-time myth of magic and talking animals. We would nod and say, great story, but the one we told you was different. Jesus really lived. This really happened. We could, just could not get them to understand that the Bible stories we were translating were special. 
Everyone in our North American society knows that the term holy describes something having to do with God, or at least something with special religious significance. The Canela language and culture, however, had no such concept. To the villagers, the Bible stories were in the same class as the stories their grandfathers had told them. We prayed that God would do something to solve the problem, and he did, but in a painfully convoluted way. We were planning to publish a number of booklets and books when a political upheaval in Brazil interrupted our work. Government policies changed, and all missionaries working with indigenous people groups were forced to leave the villages and reservations. We, too, had to leave our home and friends in the village and live in the city for several years. It was emotionally painful and extremely frustrating for both us and for the Canela people, many of whom were eager to learn to read better. After several years, we published about a dozen booklets in Canela, including some learn-to-read booklets, some booklets of traditional Canela legends, some health booklets, and the first versions of the translated books of Luke and Acts. We applied for permission to make a brief trip to the Canela village to deliver the reading books, sending the government department a list and description of the titles we planned to leave there. Many weeks later, I was summoned to the district governor government office. The official handed me the document, allowing me one day to distribute the books in the Canela village. Then he pointed to the bottom sentence. I looked and blinked in surprise. We had planned to give all this literature to the readers in the village, at least one per house, and had anticipated no major trouble, but there it was in black and white. Not included in the this distribution permit are the books of sacred scripture. Sign here to indicate you understand the conditions and that you will not leave any of the Bible books in the village when you are there to distribute the other books. The official said, handing me a pen. I shot up a quick prayer. Lord, you know how to handle this problem. I don't. Please take over. And I signed on the dotted line. A week later, a colleague and I drove to the Canela village in a pickup truck carrying a large metal drum packed solid with 60 sets of booklets in plastic bags. The Luke and Acts books were packed separately. The Canals welcomed us with great joy since they had not seen us for over a year. We arrived in time for the late afternoon council meeting, so the chief and the elders immediately ordered us to sit in the council ring and ask me to give a report. When they heard we had come to bring new booklets in their own language, they got excited and wanted me to show them the booklets. I opened a plastic bag of booklets and explained what was in each book. When I finished, the chief noticed the plastic bag with the Luke and Acts books that I had not talked about. What about those two thick books? Tell us what's in them, he demanded. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> I happily explained what was in the Luke and Acts books at great length and detail <laughs> with frequent readings from some passages. When after nearly an hour I finished, they were more excited than before. Those are the best books of all, they exclaimed. They tell us about our great father in the sky. I then showed them a copy of the document I had signed and explained that the government had forbidden me to leave any of the God books in the village. The Canela leaders exploded in anger. What? No way. Don't all the rest of the Brazilians have God's books in their language? They shouted. Why can't we read them in our language? Don't we have the same rights as the Portuguese-speaking Brazilians? They did. The Brazilian constitution clearly gives religious freedom to all its citizens. They demanded I leave the books anyway. Nobody will tell on you, they whispered. <laughs> but I explained that as a guest in the country, I needed to obey the government's rules. Besides, I had promised, and I would not break my promise. Finally, the chief sent me to my house to sleep. We'll figure something out in the morning, he said. We left to pray and sleep. At dawn, the elders called me to their morning council meeting. Here's what we've decided. 
they explain. You pack all those booklets and the God books back into the drum. Put it on your pickup truck and leave the village. The chief's son will follow you on the village tractor. In 35 kilometers, you will go through the great gate. That is the end of the Canela Indian Reservation. Your promise does not apply beyond that gate. Take the drum off your pickup truck and drive away. <laughs> the chief's son will tie it securely to the back of the tractor. We already have a list with names of the readers. When your chief's son returns, we'll distribute the books to the readers, the God books as well as the reading booklets. That's our order. Do it. <laughs> we did. Years later, when we were able to resume our ministry in the village, we heard that the first books everyone had read were Luke and Acts, the special, forbidden God books. The canals now read the published partial Bible. The front cover says God's word. On the title page is the book of the highly respected words of God. In other words, the Holy I also read this week from Russia of a young man named Artum who works with orphans, who was told that he was not allowed to hold any meetings in the orphanages since, you know, over the Christmas break. And of course, he's very disappointed at this, and, and uh, this is how they describe it. The situation with COVID-19 remains difficult. At the end of December, the Ministry of Social Protection issued it an order to ban any festive activities in orphanages. It seemed that the only way we could greet the children on Christmas was to individually hand over the presents, which might not be possible. Also, one of the orphans who was active in our meetings was transferred to the Bezoroka facility, some 40 miles away. Two other children from our group were sent to the Samuelsk or orphanage, almost 10 miles further from Berezoka. I realized that the Lord was showing us the new locations of orphan ministry. But the order I mentioned above seemed to be an impossible obstacle. At my request, our church started to pray for that need. We built the packages with the presents, and off I went to the Blagoshovensk Orphanage. With the restrictions and the distribution of orphans to remote orphanages, our tomb's ministry plans had dramatically changed with the restrictions. Yet he pressed on in faithfulness and with prayer that God would lead them. He continued, To my surprise, the principal's assistant invited me in. We were sitting in his office having a conversation about cooperation in the context of the pandemic. The director in charge was there as well. I voiced the idea of creating a network of teenage Bible clubs at four orphanages. Suddenly, the director in charge decisively stated that I had to talk to the students as a group and personally hand over the Christmas presents. I couldn't believe my ears. As I entered the hall, I saw a group of boys and girls of older age. There was no familiar face to me there. But the way they listened to the story showed me that the Lord was already working in their hearts. After the meeting, the principal of the Berezovka facility gave his go-ahead for long-term cooperation with our team. Yesterday, we were there to tell the students about Christmas. Today, we're going to the Simizovsk orphanage, where the principal also is ready to respond to God's initiative. Things are changing very swiftly, and I don't know, I know it's not going to be easy, but our Lord is with us. Now, why am I telling you these stories? Because right now in our world, you're wondering if we're slipping backwards. covid economics, politics, immorality, um, new laws and orders put into place about different therapies, etc., etc. It feels like as believers and followers of Jesus, we're the minority and we're losing the battle. But the truth of it is this. 
that as we continue to share the good news of the gospel of God, Jesus always wins. It will involve conflict, but in the end, he always wins. The gospel of Mark ends with Jesus winning. He is crucified, and then he's, he's risen. And in fact, the ending kind of leaves you in the mid-sentence. You're like, well, what now? What now is us continuing to follow Jesus and counting on him for victory in the midst of the situation in which we currently live in? We're not on the losing side. We're on the winning side. And the amazing authority of Jesus is the authority that guides and leads us. Now, the other side of this, is that, you know, Jesus speaks to these demons and immediately they respond. They're the enemies of God. <laughs> they're, they're in constant opposition to his plans. If demons and evil spirits respond to Jesus in that way, how should the followers of Jesus respond to Jesus? Why don't we take his authority seriously? They don't have a choice. Boom, they're gone. We have a choice and we don't always listen to Jesus' words. How many Christians have done unloving things? I mean, the books could not be contained in the largest building in the world of, of horrific actions that Christians have done to other Christians. And the clear reason is because they don't obey the, the commands and the authority of Jesus. Churches splinter and fall apart because Jesus has laid out a clear directive for conflict, and we choose to do it our own way. But why don't we follow Jesus' direction? Why do we choose our own path when he says, look, do it this way. Follow, you know, one step one, step two, step three. And we're like, no, no, I want to create my own steps. Jesus tells us to reach out to those in need. And we're like, well, when I feel like it, when it's convenient for me. And Jesus is like, it's never convenient. You need to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, read through the, 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 the Gospels and, and, and see what Jesus teaches. And you realize if demons respond to Jesus in obedience, shouldn't we respond to Jesus in obedience? They hate Jesus. We love him. They respect him because they're forced to. We respect him because we can't help but respect him because of who he is. Are you amazed at the authority of Jesus? And maybe if you're not amazed, it's because maybe you don't understand who Jesus is. He's not your buddy. He's not your pal. He's not your beer-drinking you know, partner at, at the bar. I mean, he is the king, high king of heaven, the holy one of God. And within him is the absolute authority of the, of the Godhead himself. And when he speaks to us, his words are life, and obedience brings us to blessing. And in this situation, we, we see an encounter, and, and it's done. And, and I'm telling these stories because no matter where you feel like we're losing, we're not. Jesus always wins. Let's follow him and trust in his absolute authority. But he loves to work through us. And he only works through us when we respond in obedience to him. You can't pick and choose with Jesus. Either he is everything he says he is or he isn't. You're either on one side with Jesus or another. You can't ride the middle. There's no neutral stand with Jesus. You're either in or you're out. And I am inviting you, Mark has invited you to be in with Jesus. But part of that journey is you recognizing and being amazed at the authority of Jesus. His words, 
his actions, his power, his victory in the spiritual realm. He is winning, and he will continue to win. Even when it seems like it's not, even when things go bad, God turns it to good, both in the canal situation and in Russia and in our present situation. Let us trust in God and place our faith firmly in Jesus Christ and be amazed by him. My prayer for you is that you would just discover Jesus afresh as we journey through the Gospel of Mark, that you would have that soul revolution. The enemy would love to drag your soul down and away from Jesus. God is, in, is pulling your soul towards him, and, and it comes when you obey and you listen and you respond to his word. Let him have access. Let him put the scapel of his word into your heart, into your will, into your mind, and begin to create you after the image of Christ. That's what he wants to do in your life and this story in Mark just brings us to a, a new amazement of who Jesus is. Would you pray with me as we close? And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I invite you today to recognize him, to believe in him, to repent and believe as he says earlier in Mark. Turn your life, surrender completely, and enter into his kingdom and with him as your king and your leader. God, I thank you for your word that speaks a powerful message into our life. And even as we look around us and sometimes I'm discouraged by the circumstances and situations in our world, we realize that you are still moving forward. Your kingdom is advancing and it's advancing through the obedient followership of your people. So may we be found there today. Surrender to you. Submissive to your will and to your word. Do the work in our soul that only your word and your Holy Spirit can do. Draw our attention to Jesus. Get our minds off of our circumstances and the evil and the bad and everything else that's going around us and refresh us in amazement at Jesus today. And so guide us, we pray, in this path. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining in. I just want to say that in response to this text, I'm inviting the men that are available to come and pray with me on Wednesdays from 1215 to 1245. We're, just, we're starting small. That time will be dedicated to prayer. If you want to come earlier and visit, want to stay later and visit. If you're not able to come, but you're able to pray wherever you are, I invite you to join me spiritually at a different location, but to take some time in that block to begin to pray for, for God's kingdom agenda to be realized in our city and in our provinces and in our country and in our world. We just really need, this is what God invites us to do, to be devoted to prayer. So I'm inviting the men, anyone that wants to join me. I don't care who shows up. I'll pray by myself, but I believe that we need to take steps spiritually to, to kind of recognize, Jesus, you are the authority in this church and in this community, and we want your will to be done here. And so, men, I'm inviting you to join me to that. If you have questions about this, please contact us. If you need support, you need prayer, we're here for you. If you have any questions about this text, please email or call us. May God bless you this week as you walk and move up and out in new life in Jesus.